0: You're listening to the Calvary Catechism podcast, where we seek to defend doctrine, dispel deception, and develop disciples. Welcome back, everybody, to the Calvary Catechism podcast. We are not alone today, not alone. Why don't you introduce our guest since you roped him in kind of last minute for us today. I did. This
1: is exciting. I have a friend and somebody who is a uh, fellow previous law enforcement uh, brother. So a brother in Christ and a, and a brother in law enforcement. Um, he goes to church with me at Grace Community Church. His name is Isaiah Hendricks. And uh, we are extremely... Uh, honor to have him on our podcast today as we discuss a very sensitive topic which we'll get to in a minute Isaiah say hi
2: hey
1: what's up guys (laughs) hey my man all right so Kenny launch us
0: all right so uh if you're new to the podcast every time we we record we just have a random question that I ask um just to get the ice broken a little bit get us talking but also get some of the bench out the way so I'm curious um Do you like cats or dogs better, and why? Oh my goodness, this is a boring Boring question. Oh, it's boring. Well, you come up with a better one. It's
1: a boring question. I like dogs because they're superior. Why are they superior? That's. I mean, I don't have to explain why. There's. Why would I have to explain why? Why humans are superior to animals? I mean, there's no. There's no debate. Dogs are just better. What do you think?
2: I will definitely say dogs are way better. Cats, you never know what cats are thinking, and then they just attack you out of the blue, and they can open doors, I have found out.
1: Wait, so, they can um, or
2: cannot? They can open doors. I have yeah. a friend of mine's cat who can open my door and then scream at me really? and kick me out of my room. Who so, has a cat? Leah.
1: Okay, that's creepy. Never mind. Okay, cats are creepy.
0: Cats are creepy. So so that's why I asked the question because I needed to filter Isaiah for everybody. If he were a cat person, we probably would have stopped recording. (laughs) Probably,
2: probably. That's fair, honestly. No, dogs dogs Mm -hmm. are
0: better because you never know what cats are thinking. Like I can look at a dog and kind of know what they're thinking for the most part. With a cat, you don't know if they're about to scratch your face off or if they want you to like scratch them. But you can only you can only scratch a cat's head for two seconds and then they're done. <laughs> a dog like they're they're yeah. as long as you want. You Best friend yeah. for life. Yeah, yeah. All right. So yeah. um, today we are so we're in we're in season uh, number three, right? Wow. Yeah. Season three, mm-hmm. and we are talking about some difficult topics, some some controversial topics, not because we believe that. Uh, not because we believe the Bible's not clear about these things, but because our culture is not clear on these things. Um, there are a lot and even within the church, some of these topics that we're discussing uh, there are Christians there are there are professing Christians who seem to be divided over some of these really important, um, topics that have become so controversial. And so we kicked off season three uh, last time with uh, the, the episode, Are You Woke? And we, talk about, we talked about wokeness in general. And we said that throughout this season, we're going to be talking about topics that really play into that idea and that philosophy, if you will, of wokeness. And this one is... Uh, maybe going to be one of the more one of the more uh, controversial topics that we handle um, because it's so prevalent, it's so relevant, it's it's in the middle of the conversation seemingly every day in some way, shape, or form. We are going to talk about Black Lives Matter. Now, it's important to distinguish that we are going to talk about the organization Black Lives Matter and the movement. Black Lives Matter, not so much the statement. Not the Black phrase Lives itself. <laughs> yes, um, because we all obviously agree with that statement, which we'll talk about that because uh, that's an even important point on this. But um, yeah, so why, why why does this conversation matter, Travis?
1: So this is at the heart of the woke movement. If you were to look at the woke movement as the umbrella, right? There's a lot of organizations that are outcropping uh, from that root, if you will. Um, The Black Lives Matter movement being probably the loudest one at this time. And it's really unfortunate um, that they would use such a true Mm. phrase to purport such a false narrative, Mm. uh, such a false doctrine, right? Mm. I mean... It's, but it's also brilliant marketing. It's also brilliant marketing in that they, and if you want anybody to agree with you and to follow you, and to get on board with a movement, then that's going to be the greatest singular thing that you can do is to create a catchy phrase that everybody backs up and follows. Mm -hmm. Um, So, with that being said, we would, uh, we would like to give a little bit of context behind our guest today uh Isaiah, who's is joining us um Isaiah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself a little bit about your about your background law enforcement, just who you are in general um and any cursory introductory thoughts maybe that you have on the black lives matter movement who are you
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um like he said, like they both said, I am Isaiah. Um, I was born in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, actually, we exactly where our church is at. Um, mm. Started going to our church about seven years ago. If that's math, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I am a black man. Um, I have definitely heard a lot about this whole Black Lives Matter movement, Defund the Police movement, the mm. whole woke movement, all that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't hear about that till... A little bit more, probably a little bit more recently when it first started. Um, but the desire to be a cop started when I was a ten when I was ten years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always been the thing that's been in the back of my mind was becoming a cop at some point And I finally became a cop. Probably I went to the police academy last year, um, and then got hired on by a local agency um, earlier this year. Um, and I have definitely seen the uh, effect of the woke movement on people in general. Um, I have been, actually I used to work for um, another local, different local agency um, as a community service officer mm. and I have seen a lot of people, uh, a lot of black people who've gotten angry at me because of how I supposedly treated them. I treated them fairly and with respect, mm-hmm. but because I was black they their response to me was more of a come on, man, we're both black type of thing instead of like a, hey, I understand I made that mistake and you know I won't do it again. Mm -hmm. And they wanted me to cast fault on somebody else because we're supposed to be brothers and brothers in arms Mm -hmm. and all this other kind of stuff because we're both black. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, that's not how that works. Responsibility is responsibility, um, whether or not you're black or not. Um, So I guess that's just a little bit of...
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really curious. Um, I'm curious even if all of us wanted to answer this, but when you first... Can you remember when you first like heard heard the the phrase Black Lives Matter used, or when you first began hearing about it? Like, what what went through your mind initially when you first started to to hear about this movement, to hear about you know the organization? Even can you remember? I mean, maybe you don't. That's okay. But
2: I don't remember when I heard it. Um, but obviously, like when I hear Black Lives Matter, I know what it I know what it truly means now. Um, like they both said earlier mm-hmm. obviously black lives do matter all lives matter i mean we all are children of god pretty much i mean like that's not that's not going to change um but the issue there is that the whole movement is not interested truly in lives at all they're just interested in pretty much how cops have killed black people in the past Mm-hmm. Um, that's truly what they're interested in. And I'm not saying that all cops are like bad. I'm not saying all cops are good. Um, there are some bad apples in any organization, in any any job, anything like that. I mean, people are all sinners. Like, that's, that's how it is. Um, but like I said, I can't remember when exactly I heard the term Black Lives Matter, but yeah. I kind of brushed it off because I was like, yeah, that's just not something. Once I truly learned about it, that's not something I wanted to be a part of, whether or not I was black or not. Yeah. Um, that And like I said, that's played in, in a lot of conversations I've had with people that I don't really know a lot of random people. That exact term has been told to me before, and it, it, it truly, to me, doesn't even make any sense.
0: Yeah. And, and it's so, to me, you know, built into that phrase, built into people feeling like they have to say that is all the assumptions that society has always treated Uh, or or is continuing to treat, everybody in society just doesn't believe that black lives matter. So we have to say black lives matter. Now, are there people who, you know, still uh, believe that maybe uh, black lives are are not as valuable? Sure. I'm sure there are people out there like that, but I think there's this assumption that culturally as a whole, people still don't believe this. And so we have to say this, we have to advocate this. And then not only that, I mean, I think like you were saying, um, and we'll talk about this built into that phrase it's not just a phrase because if it it were only a phrase we could affirm that we got no problems with that let's affirm that wholeheartedly amen can we answer the question simple do black lives matter yes yes (laughs) yes it does but when (laughs) you say that you are you are endorsing an entire movement Mm. you're not just saying that because when you say black lives matter immediately I, th- I believe, and maybe y'all can correct me if you think I'm wrong in this, I believe most people in America's minds are going to police brutality, uh, it's going to the, the marches, it's going to the organization, it's going to the things that the organization stands for beyond just black lives, so it's not just a statement. Uh, it's it's a movement, and it's an organization, and the, the organization Black Lives Matter is very clear that they are anti-God, um, that they are anti uh, the, this biblical worldview, so it's it's so much more than just affirming a true statement uh, when you say that. It is. So we've used the term a lot. Let's define it. Let's talk about it a little bit more. Let's break
1: this down, right? So the Black Lives Matter movement itself, what we keep referring to, really started to uh, gain strength and to pick up some speed in July of 2013 with the start of a hashtag, hashtag Black Lives Matter, on social media after the acquittal of George Zimmerman in the shooting of Trayvon Martin uh, that occurred in February of 2012. And then after the deaths of Michael Brown um, and uh, quite a few other people, Uh, like George Floyd, uh, the movement just continued to gain more and more and more speed. Um, uh, Yes, Black Lives Matter mission statement, if you will, is centered around uh, the inequality uh, of African Americans in specific relation to police brutality. Um, So that is what they're voicing. It was at this same time when this hashtag was going up that uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, was really in the in the news because I, I I believe it was in 2012 that he led the 49ers to the Super Bowl, right? Yep. And uh, it was right after that he started to take a kneel during the national anthem, and that began an entire um, debacle and controversy itself. Whereas he was making the statement that, "Hey, I'm doing this because of the Black Lives Matter movement." That was kind of emerging at this time. Um, But if we were to dig a little bit deeper into this, um, if we start digging deeper into the Black Lives Matter movement, you can't get away from the invisible knapsack. (laughs) The invisible knapsack.
0: What are you talking about?
1: Man, oh man. (laughs) So this movement and much of the... Current woke culture and a lot of the different things that we are talking about and that we're going to talk about and dive into today really uh, anchor it's they, they anchor themselves back into a paper a paper written by a feminist scholar and an anti- we're going to talk about feminism too this season feminism but. will be in this <laughs> discussion this season not yeah. today but it will be so a feminist scholar a female and she, is also, she was also an anti racist activist. Her name uh, is Peggy McIntosh. Peggy McIntosh. And Peggy wrote a paper called White Privilege Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. Okay. And in White Privilege Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack, which was an essay written back in 1989, it covered about 50 different examples or as she would phrase it, hidden benefits from her perspective that white people experience in everyday life, <laughs> okay? And within this paper, um, a lot of the principles behind intersectionality uh, was discussed and really birthed where a white male, specifically Christian, specifically heterosexual, mm-hmm. um just had everyday inherent privileges that was essentially attached to him in the form of an invisible knapsack that he could kind of reach into and pull out yep. at any time in any way throughout the day. And and here's the here's the hook here's the here's the jab. He never knows. He never knew about it.
0: Well, and <laughs> and that's despite his circumstances, despite. You can take any person, if they're white, Christian, heterosexual, even if they grew up in a poor household, um, even if they grew up where you could look at their life and not pinpoint a single advantage that they actually have, other than this assumption that they're white, so they therefore must have an advantage, you still can't deny that that person has white privilege. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack there, but you like you're you trying to say something, Isaiah. Yeah.
2: No, I don't even, I don't even <laughs> understand this whole knapsack thing. I don't know where this even came from, but uh, I go team, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I'm not really sure. Go state. I'm uh. not really sure on that one. <laughs> well, this,
1: this, this is a lot of where um, the problem lies, okay? So here's a couple of examples. So within the paper itself, I actually have the paper pulled up here uh, by Peggy. Um, She goes over 50 different white privileges that the white heterosexual Christian male experiences, whether he accepts it or not. That's the key, and that's kind of what I want to hone in right now. Whether you accept the fact that you inherently possess these privileges or not. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you acknowledge it and see it. If you don't see it, then you're just blind, and your white privilege level gauge has been turned to 10. If you don't see it, it's because you're blind. But if you do see it, well, you just have to accept it and apologize to the minority groups. Mm. Females, black people, Hispanics, LGBTQ+. It doesn't matter. Any minority group, the white heterosexual Christian male, has to apologize to that minority group because they have been given these inherent privileges by society mm-hmm. it's it, it, they, they 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 call they she stems it she says that it's a systemic racism problem that's the faint that's the that's the popular word is systemic so for an example here this is a white privilege this is a white privilege that is within the invisible knapsack number one I can, if I wish, to arrange to be in the company of people of my own race most of the time. I can hang out with whatever. I can hang out with people of my own race if I want to most of the time. I can be pretty sure that my neighbors in such a location will be neutral or pleasant to me. I can just assume that my neighbors are going to be nice to me because I'm white. But if I'm black or if I'm a female or if I'm a Hispanic person, that doesn't count. I can turn on the television or open to the front page of the paper and see people of my race widely represented. White people can do that, but black people cannot do that. Uh, Hispanic people cannot do that. Hmm. These are the arguments that she is purporting, and it's these arguments that that ran so deep within the Black Lives Matter movement that if you don't see it and if you don't accept it, then it's your problem.
0: Well, and, and let me your thoughts? let yeah. me let me say something here. Um, what you're going to see in this paper, what you're going to see in our culture, is some things that they purport you can see, right? Some things that they purport are true. Um, the problem is not all things they say are true, but also their conclusions that they're drawing are 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 faulty because they're the you know again it's like. It's it's like the organization Black Lives Matter. It's saying they're they're working under the assumption that if if you are black, you automatically are always at a disadvantage in every scenario. You're always oppressed. You're always experiencing some form of oppression because you're a marginalized people group. Um, and if you're white, you're not. Um, and that's despite your circumstances. And it, and and there's no opportunity here for a biblical worldview in a biblical lens. And so they're able to hook people in by saying, well, look around you. So when you watch the TV shows, most of the people in the TV shows are white. And so that's that's because of racism. That's because black people don't have the same opportunities. And it, it, it's it's an assumptions being made without actually looking at the details, without actually looking at the facts, for example. So that's just to pull one of the examples that she used. To even say the first one that you read, I, I kind of laughed a little bit to say Anytime I want, I can be around other people of my race. How is that not true of anybody, right? Like, how is that a white that does that one doesn't make any sense at all to me. Well, there's um, 50 of them that are confusing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, some of but some of them have some truth to them in a sense, right? Some of them some of them have some aspects where they didn't just pull it out of thin air. They're looking yeah, at yeah. circumstances yeah. and they're saying this is true. Um, and, and we're none of us are going to sit here and say racism doesn't exist. None of us are going to sit here and say that there's not disadvantages that are experienced by minorities at times, none of us are saying that that doesn't exist. Correct. We're just saying it's not inherent. It's not across the board. It's not, it's not unforgivable. Um, it's not, um, uh, you know, unavoidable. All those things are just not true in my mind. So I mean, I can go on, but those are some of my thoughts.
1: So Isaiah, can you speak into thoughts, experiences, your own, your own life in general, when it comes down to this idea of systemic, uh, racism with the idea that, um, black people specifically, you can go any minority group, they are inherently oppressed. They live in constant oppression and that they are dealt a lesser hand comparatively to white people, no matter what, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I don't have any thoughts on that because I've never really, I'm again, that, He's already said it, like, yeah, that stuff is is experienced and has been experienced. I understand that completely. But I personally have never, and I grew up on the north side of Jacksonville, I've Mm. never experienced anything remotely, racism, anything like that. Mm. I've grown up around people that actually weren't my race or whatever you want to call it. Um, I've grown up around Hispanics. I've grown up around whites, all kinds of people. I just not and I can go hang out with black people anytime I want, really want to. It's not like there's a there's a difference between white people being able to do it and black people can't. Like I I can do all that stuff as well. I mean there's no no difference between white and black at this point. Um but like I said I've never I've never dealt with racism specifically towards me at all. Mm. Um so I can't really can't really um what, what do can't you really think? see I can't really say that that makes any sense to me honestly what
0: what do you think what do you, what comes to your mind when you hear the term systemic racism do you automatically say that doesn't exist do you say well I can kind of see you know where it's coming like what comes to your mind when you hear that phrase
2: well I mean I I, I can when it comes what comes to my mind is that I can see how that can be I, I'm trying to think of the right words to say I can see how that can kind of be seen right Um, like I said I've never experienced it myself but I would probably say like something such as somebody maybe being picked over a job like a white person being picked to be a boss or something like that instead of somebody who's black who had more time on the job or something like that. That happens all the time I'm sure. Sure. Um, But at the same time that happens when a black guy or a black female gets picked over another Mm. black guy or black female Mm. it comes down to politics such as Mm -hmm who you're friends with, work ethic, stuff like that. So it's not just a, it's not just a, oh, he's black. We're going to pick somebody else over. I don't see that at all these days. And that's the only thing that really comes to my mind is stuff such as that's severely just, you know, it's racism. There's no other, no other doubt about it.
0: And what happens is people hear that because that happens. Absolutely. It happens that a black person gets passed over. They're more qualified but you also, so people hear those stories and then they swing the other way. And I've heard people say, yeah. I've heard people say, if I'm hiring and I've got, if we're rating employees on a scale of one to 10, and y'all might even know who I'm talking about who said this. I don't know. I won't, won't name the name because I don't want to get in that tangent. But he said, if I've got uh, a employee, potential employees, one who's white and he's a six or sorry, he's a seven. And the one who's black is a, is a six. I'm going to pick the black six over the white seven because of inequality right and so i'm going but but aren't you doing the very thing that you're accusing the other side of doing at that yes. point right like yes. i'm all for you know trying to trying to bring justice where we've seen injustice i'm all for trying to correct racism because it exists absolutely it exists but when you say systemic racism what that implies to me is that a black person no matter where he goes no matter where she walks into and, and, and tries to get a job, he or she will always have a harder time than a white person in getting that job, and that's just simply not true. Because it's not, it, in my opinion, it's not, it's not inherently a systemic problem. It's a sin problem. The, the, mm-hmm. There's people who are who are sinful who do these things in sinful ways on both sides of the aisle. So it just, I mean, to me. I don't get how people continue to bring up anecdotal stories to try to demonstrate a systemic problem. You can't, you can't do that. You've got to demonstrate how it's systemic. You can't say racism is systemic, and let me tell you about two stories why I know that it's systemic, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, anecdotally, going back to that, uh, you said something earlier, Isaiah, that was really interesting, um, and you made one. You said, "Hey, uh, from a you've never been maybe directly impacted by racism, um, but." you were also telling a story earlier about your experience in law enforcement where you did experience a form of oppression where other black people were upset with you over not agreeing with you yep. or over you not agreeing with them and taking their side. Yep. So can you talk about that a little bit? That's unique in that you're, you're, you're sitting there saying, hey, I never experienced racism in this white privilege manner that – this paper is talking about but when you were a cop that's when you started to experience a form of oppression from black people yep like what's up with that what are your thoughts on that
2: if you really think about it and i'm not going to talk about statistics or anything but that's generally how it is it's always the black people versus the black people it's Hmm. never the other way around but we're not going to go down that rabbit trail um so actually so i was a um community service officer like i said so i wasn't a full cop yet um and the only thing I did, that job pretty much entailed, was uh, doing crash reports. Um, so obviously, like, accidents happen, we know that, but sometimes it's something negligent as looking down at my phone, I went through a red light and I got into a car crash. Right. Um, the person at fault was a black guy. Um, so I responded to the scene, um, got the information that I needed, um, and I made a determination that I was going to have to give him a ticket because there were injuries involved. Um, like I said the black guy was at fault so I walk up to him and I'm like hey you know I understand accidents happened but there were injuries and by policy I have to issue a citation I gave him the ticket and he looked at me with this weird look on his face and he was like bro a ticket really I'm like uh yes it's policy I have to give you the ticket and he said bro come on he pointed at his arm was like bro we're both the same skin color I'm like and I legitimately told him, I said, it really does not matter if you're blue or purple or whatever. You're going to get this ticket no matter what. <laughs> That's happening because, again, by policy, injuries happen. You have to get a ticket, and it does not matter if you're black or not. And he stormed off, and he ended up trying to take a ticket to court, and he lost the court battle because, I mean, it was, it was a clean ticket all day long. Um, there was another situation where actually I pulled somebody over just back when I was actually a police officer uh, earlier this year. Um, I pulled somebody over. Um, there was a, uh, my training officer, I was in training still. Um, he, the training officer was white. Um, so I responded to a scene. I forgot even what it was about and, uh, talked to the black guy. And, uh, he said, Hey, I don't want to talk to that other cop. I said, well, why is that? Well, he's white and he doesn't understand me like you would. And I'm like, hmm. that, i like, he has more experience and he can actually help you more than I can because <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing here, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, he laughed about that a little bit, but I ended up taking care of him and, you know, no problem was there. And uh, he ended up talking to the white cop anyways after I kind of told him, like, hey, he has more experience. He's going to be able to help you more than I can. Um, but it made no sense for him to have to say what he said about, oh, he's a white cop. He's a white guy. He, he wouldn't understand me. That doesn't make any sense at all. Like, understanding is not based off of skin color at all. No. it makes no sense but that's just two of the situations that i encounter that's man.
1: that's intense man um yeah this this whole this whole conversation hits close to home um, for me personally and i know it does for a lot of people so i know once again we're going in a in, in, uh, we're telling stories right now yeah um but there's a there's a piece of it that so so a part of my testimony is that i was I was, I was raised and born in poverty. I was, I was a very impoverished person growing up a kid. Uh, I was raised in an environment of drugs, of alcohol, of sexual abuse, of parents going to jail, and of um, homelessness. I was literally homeless on a, uh, on a campground. Um, I've lived out of hotels. Uh, I've not known where what I was going to eat. Um, food stamps, every single thing that you can imagine from being poor and being uh, and coming from a family full of drugs and abuse and alcohol and all the bad stuff, right? For somebody, for a movement to be able to look at me and tell me that I'm privileged because of my skin color and that I don't understand what it's like for people to be um, oppressed is just asinine it is ridiculous to me um, I grew up on Martin Luther King Jr. Drive I, 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 every single one of my best friends growing up throughout my entire life even to this day are black because guess what you're right there are a lot of black people living in impoverished neighborhoods and I was their neighbor
2: mm-hmm.
1: those were my boys we, we grew up together. We played ball together. We work together now. Like, it don't matter. And for people to look at you and say, oh, well, you're just one of the blind then. You don't see your invisible knapsack on you because you're white. Oh, you don't understand that there... That, uh, that, 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 and, and, I, and I love the voices that come into play here when you have, um, we'll call them conservative or Christian white, black, conservative or Christian black people who walk into the scene and say, this is absolutely ridiculous and not true. Mm. I have lived a life that I'm, I have not been affected by racism or oppression or anything like that. I haven't been affected by that. And then they call you a name while they're calling me blind. Yep. It's like, I, what do we do here? when we're encountering this type of um, irrational thinking, despite objective truth that we're bringing to the table?
0: Well, here's a big part of this conversation and almost everyone we're going to have in this series. Um, People are so quick to just jump to a side, right? So They hear us saying some of these things and they go, well, you just don't think racism exists. You just think it's all a lie. That's not true. Um, I'm even willing to concede that there may be situations where systemic racism exists. I'm just saying you can't just throw that term out in every single scenario because you can make it somehow fit your narrative. if we see it occurring, I'm all about you know let's fight it, let because it is it is against a biblical worldview. Because I mean, let's not even get on the rabbit trail that racism is a made up word anyway, right? Where mm-hmm. it, it's it's ethnic uh, it's ethnic uh, privilege. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm losing my words here. Um, it's ethnic bias if you want to call call it that. Whatever we have ethnicities, we have different uh, different ethnic backgrounds, but race is a made up term, and people on both sides of the aisle would would even agree with that, but. That is a that is a side note i digress from that I, I just think that what's important here is for us to say what does the what does the bible say yeah. what does the bible say about these things and the bible tells us and we can get deep into this if we want to but the bible tells us that um that that uh man the word is escaping me right now what's the word that james uses partiality, partiality. partiality. Thank you. i knew it was a p word and i can't this is what happens sometimes on a podcast that partiality is a sin in any any way, shape, or form. We call it out when it happens. It's sinful no matter which side of the aisle it occurs on. It is a sin. Um, and at the same time, the problem in our society is not the systems and and, and the, the structures that support this. The problem in our society is the problem that's inside of every human heart. It's sin. Mm-hmm. And what people need is not systemic solutions. What people need is the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I know like that sounds like, okay, that's the preacher answer. But but that's the reality. We're not going to solve the problem of racism with policies. We're not going to solve the problem of partiality with with systems and new laws in place, you might put a bandaid over it, but what's going to solve the problem is heart change and heart transformation on either side of the aisle. And so um, that's what you asked earlier. You know, what do we what do we do with all this conversation? We go back to the Bible, and the Bible tells us that every human being is created in the image of God, that partiality is a sin, and that what every human heart needs is the gospel, <laughs> right? And so if I could be over, overly simplistic, that's what I keep going back to, and I and I keep hearing all these. All these people on podcasts and even from pulpits, purporting all of these solutions that come straight from an atheistic Marxist worldview, yeah. instead of saying, "What does the Bible say about loving our neighbor? What does the Bible say about bringing the gospel to bear to every tribe and tongue and nation?" And it it, it just blows me away that people have Christians have gotten away from the simplicity of the message of the gospel, um, the reality of sin, and the beauty of the forgiveness that's found in Christ, and how that forgiveness in Christ unites all of us. That the wall of hostility has been broken down. Um, that, that there is no male or female, no Jew or Greek. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And so for Christians, this whole idea of partiality is bizarre anyway because we, we are one. The question is are we going to live like it or not. So, um, yeah. yeah, so
1: to take it one step further back before we start tying it all into theology, before we start kind of putting a bow tie on this, you like brought, I just did, you mean? You, you started to get there, <laughs> but we needed to take it one step further, mm. deeper first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marxism. Mm. You brought up the term. Um, so another layer that we kind of need to unearth here when talking about Black Lives Matter, intersectionality, white privilege knapsack, all the all, all, all of the fun terms that we've already discussed is this idea of Marxism. Marxism. Um, this was a political and an economic theory developed by a guy named Karl Marx um, and actually Frederick Engels. Uh, it was later developed by their followers, and it was to form the basis of this theory and practice of communism. Um, it was centered on communism from a governmental uh, standpoint, and it kind of disguised itself as... Um, It never wanted to come out straightforwardly as Mm -hmm. communism, more socialist, if you will. Um, But at its heart and even nowadays as it's starting to get studied more and, and as people are starting to actually read the literature of Marx himself, they're seeing it's just straight up, point blank period communism. But it's developed by the government in um, its hope is that the government will um, enact this form of Marxism that will get a large group of people, specifically minorities, together under the banner of oppression mm-hmm. so that they can essentially place their boot over them and demand their wholehearted allegiance. So the idea is really simple. If the government can develop this movement and support this idea, let's just say in this case Black Lives Matter, and get the entire nation or that that would be ideally for them, it would be the entire nation or uh, a large population of the nation together in, in agreement with this group that Black Lives Matter and we desperately need what you brought up earlier, policy change, from the higher-ups, from the federal government, not just the state level. They want the federal government to enact policy changes and laws to help support their movement and to protect them. And in, 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 in exchange for those policies and for those laws, they're willing to sign their life away and to sign their freedoms away and essentially give the federal government that extreme power to enact these laws and to actually practice authority over the laws. So it's a disguised version of communism. How do we give the federal government as much power as we can? And it's a brilliant marketing advertisement tool, once again, in doing it by saying, oh, the government, the federal government saying, oh, you you're saying that you're oppressed well we're going to fully support this movement we're going to put legs on it and we're going to say if you want all these policies and laws then you need to exchange your freedoms and give us more power Hmm. and yeah oh you you're an oppressed groups who wants recompense that you want uh funds and monies for these different things okay well the federal government will fund you and will give you these things but you need to give us your freedom
0: in exchange And just like that, everybody's oppressed because they were trying to fight oppression. And just like that, the whole
1: society is completely oppressed and they are now under this totalitarian regime where they have to give up their freedom. So Marxism is uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is Marxism with a different mask on it and it's developing its ideas from the white privilege, invisible knapsack and intersectionality. what what do you guys have thoughts on
0: that's a lot of big words (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) well yeah yeah Kenny I mean the the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement have have said themselves that they are trained Marxists yes and so Mm. they don't even try to hide it Um, but for some reason everybody else does everybody else tries to say well that's not really true Um, but yeah I mean it's it's so I think you brought up a good point Isaiah that's a lot of big words so Maybe to, maybe to condense it and for somebody to go, well, I'm not a historian. I don't understand all this stuff you're talking about. Why does any of this matter? There's a lot of reasons it matters. One of them is we've seen this before in history, right? This has happened before in history where not Black Lives Matter specifically, but people have tried to claim oppression and to say that we need to fix it through governmental policies and the government needs more control and all this. And there is not a single scenario in where it has worked out well. Um, There's not a single scenario in which it did not end in complete disaster and destruction. Mm. Um, And so we're saying, we're now, we have all these people coming along now saying, well, that's because we didn't do it right. And we're going to do it right, you know, this time. We will do communism right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it's it's bizarre to me that literally there's not a single example in history where this has worked out and we're going to say, but now we're going to make it work because black lives matter. Yes, they do. Because black lives matter. Yes, they do. Yeah. So...
1: Uh, A distorted view that the Black Lives Matter movement has is their view of justice. Mm. Um, They have this idea that because there has been systemic racism um, in the past, and we have all agreed that there has been.
0: Because of slavery, the horrors of slavery. Because of the horrors of
1: slavery and because of all of the bad things that have occurred, especially specifically to black people within our own nation just 100, 200 years ago, Mm -hmm. Um, that justice and reconciliation and specifically recompense has to occur. You have to pay us back. The Black Lives Matter movement is demanding that they be repaid for the injustices due against their fathers, grandfathers, and ancestors. Um, which, and and, and sadly, if we start to tie this now into the theological worldview uh, that we have as Bible-believing Christians, this false ideology is also being uh, brought forward by uh, Christians, by pastors, sadly, quote-unquote pastors. Um, From their pulpits, they are literally preaching uh, in support of this Black Lives ladder movement and of this idea of recompense and of reparations, reparations, and literally pastors apologizing. Uh, we've had white white pastors
0: apologizing
1: for their white privileges,
0: for their skin color,
1: for their skin there color. There are
0: pastors who have apologized for being white, and I don't know how I'm supposed to do that.
2: What am I supposed to say? I don't know what I'm supposed to say now. <laughs> yeah, no, so. Doesn't that doesn't add up at all? But all right.
1: <laughs> so, what thoughts, Isaiah, um, do you have about the idea of, I should say, the perverted idea that the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement, is bringing forward about justice in comparison to the the biblical view of justice?
2: Oh Well, I mean, first of all, you gotta realize the heart behind all of it. Um, so the heart behind Black Lives Matter wanting justice is, well, the movement I, I should say wanting justice is, is pretty much out of selfishness. They're only mm-hmm. worried about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, their ancestors, you know, like, I'm sure their their ancestors went through a lot. Let's we can all agree on that. But that's nothing to do with now. That like the same things that happened back then is not happening now. Not to the same degree, at least. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, we have discussed that, yeah, you know, there are some manifestations of systemic racism going on now, yes. But at the same time, though, Black Lives Matter move they're not worried about any of that. They just want money. Mm -hmm. They want Mm -hmm. their checks from the government. If I'm not mistaken, I've seen something where they wanted some type of, like, payment plan or something like that from the government Mm -hmm. to get money back yep. from what happened in the past. Yeah. What does money have to do with any of it? Mm-hmm. That, like if you're truly worried about racism, then let's fight the fight about racism and not worry about the money. Cause the money has nothing checks. So you can go get whatever you want to go get it. It does not have anything to do with this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, they only worry about themselves, and that's not how the biblical view of justice is at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Travis is a little bit more, um, a little bit more of a, uh, better person to talk to about biblical views on justice but um i would say that it's not the black lives matter movie is not on the right right path with that at all they only worry about themselves
1: that's helpful brother how would you define what what are your thoughts
2: on biblical justice versus this
0: um we talked about this in the last episode that even the word justice every christian when they hear that word should say we want justice right And so I think that's one of the things that ropes Christians into the Black Lives Matter movement, because they'll say things like, well, we don't want, what we want is justice. We don't want, you know, all these things you're saying, we don't want communism, we don't want, we just want justice. The problem is, so that sounds good, and you're like, "Amen." We want justice too. The problem is, what they mean by justice is a different idea than the biblical form of justice. Uh, the biblical form of justice is found in God's law, which dictates that the the sinner receive the due penalty for his sin, for his crime that he's committed. But I'm I'm not responsible to pay for the sins of anybody else, um, and and you are not responsible to receive recompense because of the sins that was committed against somebody else in your, in your family either, right? That's not the biblical model of justice. The sinner is, is, is given the judgment, the penalty for their sin, and the person who was sinned against um, can, can receive you know, uh, some sort of recompense, if you will. For, but, but even that, even in God's law, justice is completely different than what we see in the Black Lives Matter movement. They're not, they, what they're concerned about, with, what they would say is justice, is equality of outcome right meaning that black white asian whoever all have the same jobs make the same amount of money have the same outcomes of life otherwise it's not justice that's not true biblical equality that's not true biblical justice now i'm all for equal opportunities everybody has the same opportunity nobody's impeded nobody nobody is held back for any reason skin color whatever it may be but you're going to have different outcomes but in their mind, the only thing that's just is if everybody has the same outcome. If anybody is poor for any reason, then we don't have a just society in their, in their minds, right? And that means that we've all got to fight to make sure that all of those poor people have the exact same outcome as everybody else. And so therefore, if you're rich, you're an oppressor automatically. You are a part of the oppressed and you are practicing injustice because you're rich while somebody over here is poor. Um, and then Black Lives Matter, obviously, frames that primarily in regards to white rich people versus poor black people. They don't have as much of a problem with rich black people. But.
1: Exactly. I was going to say, <laughs> when I was uh, homeless on a campground and my parents were in jail, I didn't have the same opportunity as uh, a black female whose parents paid her way into college. Right. right. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. This is ridiculous. But let's uh, let's let's talk about biblical justice. So Ezekiel 18, verse 20, Ezekiel 18, verse 20 says the following. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Uh, This essentially is a key verse to combat every single distortion of biblical justice that the Black Lives Matter movement brings forward. Uh, It starts off with the soul whose sins shall die. Now, this is going to be a tough pill for some people to swallow, and I mean that respectfully. Um, But you yourselves, everybody individually, has to be held accountable for your own sin. When you sin, when you do something bad, That goes against God's word because that's what sin essentially means. It's a transgression of God's law. It's a breaking of God's law. When you break God's law, you sin against a holy and big, righteous, perfect God. And when you sin, you're going to be held accountable for your specific wrongs that you've committed against that God. The verse goes on to say that the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. You're not going to suffer, nor can you be blamed, nor can you blame shift for the for the for the faults of your ancestors. Because your ancestors has have been uh, oppressed, you cannot therefore receive Uh, reconciliation or recompense or reprobation. You cannot receive things because your ancestors have been oppressed, nor can the righteousness of your grandfather or grandmother be imputed to you. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. The things that you do wrong, you actually have to be held accountable for. And the way that you're going to be held accountable for them is by being judged by a holy and righteous God. This is the gospel. This is the bad news of the gospel. And this is true justice. Mm -hmm. True justice is that all would die and go before the judge and would be held accountable for every single sin that they have ever thought, committed, Or did every single sin that you've ever done would go straight before the holy judge, and he would look at them all, and he would take you and find you guilty, and he would send you to hell for an eternity forever, because that's God's jail. That's justice. If we want justice to reign, if we are begging for true justice to occur, then we're all going to die and go to hell because that's what we deserve for breaking the law of such a holy God. But this is where the good news comes into play, that because we don't want true justice to occur, this kind and merciful and gracious God actually performed the greatest injustice the world has ever seen by sending his perfect and sinless son, Christ, into the world to walk a sinless and perfect life all the way voluntarily up into the cross. Jesus Christ, the son of God, the perfect spotless lamb who never did anything wrong, went to the cross and died the death that he did not deserve, but that his people deserved. And this Anger and and this righteous wrath of God and all of the sins of his people were put onto Christ. And the greatest injustice that humanity has ever seen occurred on the cross where, where Christ died. Christ was murdered. The greatest oppression, the greatest injustice, the worst event in human history God orchestrated and ordained so that we didn't have to get the justice that we deserved, that we don't have to go to hell, that if you were just to give up these false, fake, senseless, irrational ideologies, and if you were to repent of these worldly philosophies that are tossing you to and fro and just place your faith onto the God of glory that, that, that has revealed himself through his perfect word, the Bible, then you'd be saved and forgiven. This is the gospel that Christ died and that he defeated death and rose again and that our heavenly, awesome Savior went back up to heaven and is coming back again. This is the gospel. This is biblical justice. This is the good news. And this is, it's because of this amazing story that we're looking at this false, distorted caricature of justice that's being purported the Black Lives Matter movement and we're just appalled. How could you not be
0: appalled when you look at true justice? That's good. Um, I, as you were talking initially there and you read that verse from Ezekiel, what came to my mind was when you look at the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, what you see is God divvying out mercy and justice to individuals. But the Black Lives Matter movement, what the woke movement wants is they want justice divvied out by group and by category, um, whereas the Bible is very clear. Each of us is uniquely made in the image of God. We are responsible for, before the Lord for our own sin. It's an individual approach. And all of us individually will stand before the throne. God's not going to gather up all the white people in history and say, let me judge you for what you did. All the black people in history say, let me judge you for what you did. But that's what our society is proposing that we do. Instead, God judges all of us equally, individually, individually. Um, and, and then he extends mercy to those of us who repent and believe equally and individually. Um, and that's, that's, that is one of the core differences between biblical justice and the justice of, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement. But I don't know. I, I, this will be my closing thought, and y'all can have closing thoughts if you, if you have them. But when I hear what you just laid out, the beauty of the gospel— I think to myself how could anybody want anything else Hmm. because in in the system of justice that black lives matter purports there's never forgiveness for your sin you can work and work and work and work but you are racist at your core and you may become less racist you may become anti-racist but you'll never erase the stain of racism right it'll never and people they will say that they will say that we will forever be stained by racism and and so there's no good news in that It's just continual reparations. It's continual trying to make up for this. It's continual trying to fix the system. It's never going to happen. There's no utopia here. There's no ending to this. But in the gospel, we have complete and total forgiveness offered in Christ, that no matter how bad my sins are and they are great, His mercy is more. And his mercy is complete and it's forgiving. And I can stand justified before Christ that, that even the sin of racism can be for, completely forgiven. I can be sanctified of that. And I can, be, I can be made clean before Christ. How could you want the system of justice that's purported that says, no matter what you do, you are either going to be oppressed or the oppressor. There's no equal ground here. There mm-hmm. will never be equal ground here. And Jesus says, no, the, the ground's level at the foot of the cross. Because we're all sinners. The only thing that makes us righteous is the mercy of Jesus.
1: So Isaiah, what are some concluding thoughts that you have about this idea of Black Lives Matter with all the ideologies that they are putting forward in comparison to the gospel, the true gospel?
2: Well, honestly, I completely agree with what Kenny just said. I mean, like how like I don't even want anything else other than, than mm-hmm. the satisfaction of knowing that I serve a living God. I mean, mm-hmm. that I, I know that when I die, I'm going up to heaven like That's mm-hmm. that's that's. That's that's great to know That's great to have um, You know Everything else is Is really minor Compared to that um, You know Growing up I've always uh, I never really Growing up I grew up in church That's a, a detail That I kind of left out In the beginning there um, So I grew up in church um, So I've always been in church From when I was little um, Just always around uh, Christians Always around uh, My parents were Christians um, Just always around some type of I was growing in some type of way I'm just hearing that just it's going in my ears and I'm just retaining all this information um but I still didn't know I still didn't know true what it meant to be a true Christian I still didn't know what it meant to to sin and then be able to go to Christ and and repent of those sins and in him making me new I I never understood that I never felt that before until 2018 Mm. and I was born in 2000 um so that was 18 years of just living however I wanted to live and thinking that I was okay. And then in 2018, I realized I am not okay. I'm going to hell if I die right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and just having that set and being able to repent and, 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 and come to an understanding of, of what Christ did for me and not still not even fully understand what, what Christ did for me because of my, my, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, my finite understanding, mm. um, it's it's a it's truly a great feeling to 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 have that um then you know and comparing that with with the whole black lives matter thing that it's never going to end that racism is never going to end because sin is running rampant through the world and it's getting worse and worse and worse and it's going to continue to get worse um but i do know that i don't have to answer for anyone else's sins i don't have to do anything for anyone else it's about me and my relationship with christ Mm. Um, so I know that when I go stand before the Lord, I know, I I know where I'm at. I know where I'm going, um, because I have an understanding of that stuff. Um, that's just kind of my closing statements, I guess.
1: That is awesome. Um, that brings a lot of clarity and kind of ties us up in a nice bow. So we can conclude with this second Peter chapter one. Just this verse is, it's always been one of my favorite verses. Uh, literally starting in verse one, this is the apostle Peter Speaking here, uh, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. I mean, what other type and level of equality are we really hungry for and looking for other than an equality of faith? that that the apostle peter himself had mm. like this this and it, it's this same faith that's that's the faith that is supernaturally given by god to his people mm. at salvation like this is miraculous that that we at this table specifically and anybody who's listening that's been saved that is a brother or sister in christ that has been saved by the same blood of jesus christ all share the same faith in equal standing. Mm. We all stand equally at the foot of the cross. Yep. Praise to the Lord Jesus.
0: Amen. Amen. I think if I remember, I hope I do. I want to end each of these episodes from now on in this in this series with these verses. Colossians 2, 8, starting in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Don't be taken astray. Run to Christ. Run to His Word. Run to His authority, His idea of justice, His idea of what mercy is, and what He has given to us in the gospel. Because everything else is second rate. Everything else will end you up in hell. It's only Christ uh, that can that can restore us to the Father. That can that can make us forgiven and loved and pure. So um, don't don't be taken captive by the philosophies such as Black Lives Matter. Um, Thanks for joining us, Mr. Isaiah. It was a little bit last minute, but I'm glad you were here, man. Man, that was excellent.
2: Very last minute, but I definitely enjoyed it, though. Yeah. Definitely enjoyed it. You can forever
0: say that you have been a part of the Calvert Catechism Podcast, and that will get you a lot of privilege in a lot of places. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes.
2: (laughs) Calvert lives matter.
0: (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening, y'all. As always, if this is helpful or encouraging to you, we would love it if you shared it. We'd love it if you gave us a rating or a because that helps all the uh, algorithms to put it out there for some more people. And uh, we appreciate it. We'll be back in two weeks. We're trying to have a rhythm of every other week these days, if we can. Of main with episodes. Some, with some leftovers mixed in there in between. Yep. But uh, we appreciate you listening as always. We are signing off. This is Kenny and Isaiah and Travi B. signing off. Bye-bye. <laughs>